This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. And this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy... The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. Intentional freak! Two! Belong in a circus. (laughs) Right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Good money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God that one he did kill off. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, you. I say shut up! It's a man A man Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks, 
Whether this is your first time listening or you've been around a good long while, we want to thank you for the download and we hope you'll enjoy the show. My name is Scott Gardner and this is part two of what we are unimaginatively calling Conjure Month. The con was only three days long after all. Anyway, last episode, you heard audio of Dr. Bill Robinson and myself driving down to the convention and getting the lay of the land. For this episode, you're going to hear Bill and I once again in the car for the first clip headed down to Orlando for the second day of the con. And then the main event. We'll be joined by Scott Riefen for the first of several panels that we hosted at Conjure, this one being Marvel Star Wars. It ain't just a big green rabbit. Enjoy. But I guess if you listen to 128 podcasts, this study. Yeah, I couldn't believe they had that many shots because it made me feel bad. Stars and characters? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew they'd been around and I knew they're very prolific and everything, but I, I guess I didn't realize I was quite that far behind and I really need to get caught up. I guess they record like shows in blocks. Like they'll do. Oh, okay. Like because he said when he was leaving. Oh, that's right. I didn't think you were. When they were going out. I talked to them, and he's saying, "Yeah, we got to record four shows tonight." I'm like, oh, damn! And I think they record those. See, that's those Star Wars and character shows back to back. See, I think that's what we need to be doing. The um, problem is, is that well, I mean, well, no, they do do long shows. They do like an hour. Well, we could do do that too we if we could limit the yeah, show time. We need to be more concise and do more show because that's how. Um, in the early days, that's how Bailey and I were able to do so many shows because we, you know, we would warm up with a back to the bins and then we would do a tales. Yeah. And so we would do two, sh- at least two shows every time we sat down to record. And I've been thinking for the longest time that pretty much all the shows I'm on, I think that's what we need to do. I think that's one of the secrets of success is to keep yourself, you know, always have a healthy supply of shows on hand. You know, always be several shows ahead. Well, we're way... Didn't you... Did you and Paul do a two-man show for Back to the Bins last week? Uh, we did. That might be the one Thursday. that's supposed to go up today. I'm not no, sure. No. What's the one that's supposed to go up today? No, because we have an email episode that he and I that's did. That's the one email is supposed to go... Oh, shit, I feel so bad I didn't post that because I, I don't want to... Because right now we got that. I've got an Avengers Spotlight that I'm editing. So that's two shows. What, what is the what's what do you guys? Uh, I I did Dead Avengers number one, which was that miniseries that came out about 2010. Right. And then Paul did What If number three, which was What If the Avengers had never formed. Had never formed. Where okay. Tony Stark takes on Namor and the sub. Uh, Namor and the is that the one where Namor and the Hulk by himself? They all end up at, in Iron Man armor. By yes. The yeah. Yes. They all yeah. have. He he creates Iron Man armor for everybody because Thor bugs out. He creates Iron Man armor for uh, for Rick Jones. Um, I work for Rick Jones! Rick Jones! <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and of course, Tony Stark dies at the end because it's a what-if issue and somebody has to die. I'm, I'm sounding snarky like Michael Bailey. I guess. <laughs> So we've got two, and then there's a two man that Paul and I did three, and then the one that you and he did. That's four. So we're four shows up right now. Beep, beep, oh, beep. Actually, three shows up because we'll have one going up today. It means I gotta have mine finished and edited. 
And we wanted to squeeze a Guardians in there, a Coattail Riding Guardians episode. I, yeah, I know. I really wanted to have that out in time, too. Well, the book that I covered when it was just uh, Paul and I for the two-man show was um, Tangentially Guardians. Can I, it was... Um, it. Oh, I know what it was. Well, it sort of wasn't. It sort of. It was. Um, I covered an issue of Thor, where Thor battles. Um, what was his name? Gabriel Airwalker. I oh, that was, was the one name. that was on your uh, thing that I just saw in there. When so I lifted up the top, top, yeah, yeah. When I lifted up the Tony Stark one, there was the one with Airwalker on there. Um, because well, he, he was wasn't officially a guardian. No, he wasn't though. a guardian. No, what I was thinking of, I, I, I what I was. Confusing my thoughts because I was thinking um, I had a choice between two books that night, and it was that either that one, which the only reason I read that is because I'm like I said I'm doing the read through of all the you know the Annihilation Guardian stuff, and Airwalker was with um, Silver Surfer in the early stages of uh, of the of the first Annihilation oh, okay. thing and everything because all the all the former Heralds teamed up for something or other. And that's where I heard about it. So I was uh, flipping through some comics the other day, and I was like, hey, is that that dude? I'm like, I'll have to check it. So I opened it up, and I'm like, hey, that's that guy I was just reading about. So I didn't, didn't know he was... I thought he was made up for that series. I didn't realize he was ever, you know, he was like an existing character. Yeah, he was... I think you and I might have talked about this before. He was uh, he was a person, and then he became a robot. Right, yeah. So we, we covered that one. But the other book that night that I had considered covering was one of the Captain Marvels I had just picked up from that dollar sale. Because mm. I picked up an issue of Captain Marvel where he fights Ronan the Accuser. Old Captain Marvel? Or yeah, the, the, Captain the, Marvel. the Marvel Captain Marvel. Okay. And, um, well, you know, you know, Captain Marvel. The original. Yeah, the original. Not, not his son. When no, they did no, the, no. The I didn't like him. Gen- Genesis, was that? Yeah. Was that? Yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't, I never liked him. That was one of the few Peter David projects I could never get into. I just it just failed to grab me somehow. And his daughter is super annoying too. The Phyla um, Bell. Yeah, I don't like her either. I'm ready for her to. I think she does end up biting the dust, doesn't she? I can't remember. I think uh, she gets killed. I'm kind of either her or Moon Dragon. Moon Dragon, yeah, Moon Dragon just and then died. She gets all. And she's they're they're. Where I'm at in the reread right now is um, she and Drax uh, have just set out on a, on a mission to see if, if they can... Because they, they, they're at this, like, galactic flea market or some shit. And they <laughs> go to, like a, like, a fortune teller tent. The fortune tellers... They're looking for Cammy. Um, Drax's human... That human girl that was his companion back in the Drax miniseries. Is it she Atashi Station? <laughs> the power converters. And uh, they're looking for her. And they, stop, her. <laughs> they stop and talk to this fortune teller. And the fortune teller's like, you know, the one you seek, blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out that she's not talking about Kimmy. She's talking about Moondragon, who's supposed to be dead. So then they, they're starting on this whole new search for, for Moondragon. And she does end up coming back. I can't remember if she comes back and she dies again, though. I don't remember. The, the only it's weird because I just finished this damn read not too long ago and now I'm on a reread going shit do I, did I ever read this because this is not ringing a bell but anyway um, my biggest memory from the previous read is that so many of the books 
end with that whole Cancerverse storyline. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the characters are, are left in weird places or they're dead or whatever. And then you jump into Marvel now and it's almost like there's been like a reset button push. But they don't really tell you what what's changed. You, you just kind of have to figure it out on the fly. Oh, okay. Like it's like it takes place a couple months or years later. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. really weird because there's characters that are alive again that were supposed to be dead. There's characters that are just missing, and, and it's really strange because like at the end of the whole Cancerverse thing, if if I'm remembering right, Star Lord and Nova, Rich uh, Rich Rider, who Richard Rider? No, I'm oh Star. <laughs> Are dead. They go into the cancerverse and yeah, because they sacrifice themselves yeah. or something. Yeah, and then you pick up Guardians number one, and here's Starlord back again. But in huh. the meantime, there's a new Nova number one, and it's not Richard Rider, and there's no mention of Richard Rider. Oh yeah, there's a little kid, right? Yeah, and the kid, his, it turns out that his father was a Nova, but he's clearly an Earth being. So. Was there another Nova from Earth that we never knew of? It's really weird. It's like, hey man, there's lots the of aliens knows? going around boinking Earth <laughs> chicks all the time, man. You would know. You're the alien guy. All aliens. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. aliens. <laughs> I was abducted by a seven foot green rabbit. <laughs> Soul tech. Jack's on. <laughs> You know, we should have had a, well, yeah, woulda, shoulda, coulda. If we had shit to give away, we could have had like a, like a name, name the character from, name this Marvel Star Wars character from their description. I am seven feet tall and I'm green. Ah, oh, Jackson, okay. <laughs> so That's an easy one. Now let's get a little harder. I have, I have red hair and I have the best legs in the galaxy. Who am I? Somebody would say, did Donna tag? Or whatever her name, her name. No. Crimson Jack. Crimson Jack. Oh, Crimson Jack. Not yeah. Red Jack. Red Jack. Red Jack. Red Jack. <laughs> we should have a best boobs contest. It would have to come from an Infantino issue. What's the tag girl's name? Is it, it, uh, is it Domin- Donna? Domina. 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 <laughs> the Donna's the, the, the Donna's general, general that, yeah. uh, that wants to get it on with Leia. Leia, Leia had the illegitimate child. That's what I wanted to do. Years ago, all those years ago, when you guys were doing those early issues, I think you you, you guys were talking about, well, whatever happened to General Donna? I know what happened to General Donna. What happened to him? He was taken prisoner and put in an Imperial prison. The Imperial prison... This took place in some of the EU books. Right. The Imperial Prison was actually a super star, super star destroyer buried on the surface of Coruscant. It built stuff built around it, and it lifts off and rips its way out of the... Uh, because one of... I think it's Tarkin's uh, protege, General Dahlia, oh, who's in the later yeah, books. Yeah, the redhead. Yeah, she... I think this is in the... The, one that, the book that has the Sun Crusher, I think. Is this one of the? Uh, it was one of the early e- EU books, that, and he was on. Who's that writer that that's very divisive? Uh, Kevin, it, as a Kevin Anderson, it might Kevin have been one of his books. Yeah, yeah, it might have been one of his. Yeah. And I remember, or it could have. Oh wait, no, it could have been in the X Wing, uh, the Rogue Squadron series. Okay, it's one of those two. Right. And 
they bust General Dodonna out, and they, uh, I think the name of the Star Destroyer, like, it wasn't fully finished, and it's called, the, like, the Lusinka or something. <laughs> it's like, Lukita. L- Lukita, I love you so. So, it's like L-U-S-Y-K-A-N-N-X-Y-Z, <laughs> but they're in prison on that, and they don't realize they're on a ship. They think they're in a prison prison, and they, and... So was this done to answer the question of whatever happened to him? I mean, no, I think all... they just used him as a character, and that's. Right. I don't remember how he got captured and why he got there, but I remember that they find him there, and they, I think they steal the whole star destroyer. See, I'm wondering at at the time, the super star destroyer of the Marvel comics. What well, was what was the yeah? Reason? I don't he know. Just, he just disappears from the. He's like, you know, you're going along and. All of a sudden, he's just—he's gone, and he's yeah. never referenced again. And I'm always—I've always wondered, you know, what was both the in-universe reason and the behind-the-scenes reason. And we could probably scope out. You know, we should quiz Scott Rife and say, "Hey, do you ever know what happened yeah. to General Dodonna?" He might know, Mister EU. He might know the in-universe, or the, not the in-universe, but the behind-the-scenes reason. I'm suspecting is because. Same thing with the movies. He is just kind of dropped. You you see him yeah. in the you know in the battle. Yeah, because where is he in the second movie? Exactly. He's just not the there. They, they got General Riken. Yeah, he, he's missing. And then you've got Mon Mothma, pretty Mon much, Mothma and, uh, and uh, uh, Grix Nadine. Nadine, yeah. I can remember this, and I can't remember how old my kids are. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm the same way. Head full of useless or semi useless trivia, but. uh but yeah, you know, it's it's you know, he's he's not mentioned again. Well for that matter, you know, yeah, Riken. You know, what happens to Riken after Empire? Because he's mentioned a few times uh, in Marvel Star, Star Wars. Wars. Did, I think they did a general Riken episode, but I don't remember all of them. But I don't think they've done a, done a general Dodonna one. But you know, between you know, cause so so it's the same thing for you know, through Marvel Star Wars is that you know Goldenrod Road. Between, uh, hurry up, Goldenrod. Uh, you're going to be a permanent resident. Between Star Wars and Empire, Dodonna's kind of running the show. Mm-hmm. And then between Empire and Jedi, Riken's pretty much running the show. But, you know, after each new movie would come out, they, they dropped those people. So then after Return of the Jedi, it's Mon Mothma and Akbar running it. Nadine's not even mentioned in the comic, I don't think. And off the top of my head, well, I don't think there's ever well, a even mention in, of Nadine. Even in the EU books I've read, because, uh, well, yeah, that's in the Thrawn trilogy when Thrawn finds a way to discredit uh, uh, Akbar by having the Meat Wing crash into some Crystal Palace place. Yeah, that's where I stopped reading that book. Yeah. No, that wasn't that wasn't Thrawn. That was that was the that Kevin was... Anderson stuff. Really? Oh, because okay. Akbar and isn't it Akbar and Leia? Yeah, are on a mission to and this some, planet, and and he's coming in, and there's some problem and it's like with the planet, like the bird, the bird people. Yeah, are yeah, and they have this like crystalline. And he, and he smashes through it. Yeah, he smashes it, and it pisses him off. But, but, but it was all a setup, I, I think. Yeah, that's as far as I got in that one. He goes into Force Fish retirement. I, he's a weird writer because I like his ideas. I just don't care for his his writing style. is is a little. Man, that was the what was that? The dark. Uh, 
the Jedi Academy uh, trilogy. Jedi Academy trilogy. Yeah. That's where Luke gets like zapped into a uh, force coma by some dark Sith Lord See, and I then tries to take I, over his body. I don't think I even made it. Oh, is that? Uh, yeah, he pushes his consciousness. Sarkoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, that was tied to the comic stuff at the time because that's uh, that's uh, the whole thing that uh, the Dark Horse set up with the. What was the name of that? The Tales of the Old Republic. No. What was the name of that? The, remember the one that yeah you, Tales they, of the Jedi was it, no. maybe, was it maybe it was Tales of the Jedi I forget but it was Tales of something or another Tales of the Justice Society or something like that I don't but no the world was, unlike our own <laughs> well, I remember in the in the early days of the of the Dark Horse stuff why are we not recording this oh we are we recording are, oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> but no in the early days of the of the Dark Horse stuff they didn't focus on um, like Luke era stuff it was all the you know, back in the day. Yeah, stuff. because they went back and did the whole, uh, uh, you know, what happened before. Which right. you know, I haven't read a lot of that, but I, I touched on some of the stuff. One of the one of the EU books I read is that one. Okay, and I read it just recently. It's the one that takes place, explains how the Lost Tribe of the Sith that we talked about. That's in the last string of books. Right. How they got on that planet. I, if I remember correctly, I want to. Or am I getting my books crossed? There, there's, there's a Star Wars book that involved time travel. Is that Cross Current? I, I think so. Yeah, and I think that's where that lost tribe goes and gets stuck on that planet. I uh, gotcha. But it also it talked about so some of the older lightsabers. Do you know they used to have power packs on them? It wasn't at all self-contained. They would have the swords, energy swords, and have like a like a backpack or a hip pack for a. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. That's like the five thousand years back. Yeah, see, I didn't. Other than the the, the first couple of miniseries, and uh, I think there was a one shot or something that they did. Uh, you know, I, there were there were like two or three minis because it was what was it called? Was it Tales? Maybe you're right. Maybe it was Tales of the Jedi. I can't remember. Was it Tales of the Jedi? And one was Tales of the Sith. Yeah, and then they had the Sith versus the Jedi one. Tales of Gold Monkey. And, uh, and then there was the Freedom Nad, which I was thinking that was a one-shot, but I think that was actually two issues. The Freedom Nad one. Mm-hmm. Or Freedom, Freedom Nad, whatever the hell his name was. Freedom Nad sounds like some type of porn movie. <laughs> Is that Freedom Nad, man? Oh, turn it up. Oh, no, no. I don't want to see your nads. Um, on a side note. <laughs> I no. Had, I, I had a... Uh, I had a one like one or two years I played uh, fantasy football and the name of my team was the Flamin' Nads. Uh, my wife just called me. She called you a Flamin' Nad? Sincere, <laughs> I just missed I, you know, I just but missed I, a call for this. But I did miss but I didn't win the Super Bowl. Damn. This is what we call dead air.
I, I do have a black cowboy hat. <laughs> she come to the bank. Sir, can we help? Can get it up to 88 miles per hour. <laughs> we gotta it's a science them. experiment. we got to ditch those cars behind it first. So anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, what I remember was... We were talking about Ipanema. 88 miles per hour. Oh, yeah. The train. And me robbing a Wells Fargo with my black cowboy. <laughs> you know, that whole... That, that whole hair thing was prompted by my wife. Those, 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 those crazy pictures. Well, plus you said I needed a bio picture. And like the day before, I guess I had laid down and my hair was a little sweaty. And I came out of the bedroom and she just laughed at me and said, like what? She said, you look like Doc Brown out of Back to the Future. Because your hair is all sticking up. And then the next day you're like, hey, you got to send me a biopic. Bing. Little light goes on. Hmm. Hey, honey, get the hairspray and a blow dryer. We're having some fun tonight. Now, did you realize that you look like no crazy hair? No, I didn't. Know. I didn't think it until all you could. Well, actually, once I looked in the mirror, that's why I did the hand thing because that that was when I was like, yeah, I look like the alien guy, but I didn't want to say anything to see if somebody would pick up on it. I saw that picture and I was like, oh my god, it's him. What is that? You got guy's got a messed up name. It's like George George something Opolis. Podopolis. Mr. Papadopolis. <laughs> Step right this way, sir. Isodophilus. Acidophilus. Isn't that like a milk or something? Yeah, I think so.
needed or whatever was uh, was available to us, and evidently that was not the case. But did you talk to Derek? Did Did you ask either of the guys about a? Uh, since I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> We're, we'll, we'll be there momentarily. All right. Bye-bye. I think one of the guys called from work. I swear that we... I swear that was... I, know, was seven, I think it was... I don't know. Oh, wait. Any directions? It's still the G and the GPS. Is it? Yeah. It should be. What was it? 5781? 5780 Major Boulevard. 87... Yeah, this was not the exit we took, but you might want to get off of here. Yeah, no, I'm getting I'm definitely going to get off I don't know what you mean by Boulevard 87 Remind. Where would you like to go? Shut up. 5780 Major Boulevard, Orlando. Shut up, shit, no. Is that Major Boulevard? Major Boulevard. Directions to 5780 Major Boulevard, Orlando. Tampa too. There's uh, the Tampa Bay Comic Con. I'm going in now to the one that we're going to. Uh, we'll be here all day today and tomorrow. And what? You broke up. Remember my phone sucks. Hello. Hey, there you are. What's up now? You, you, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's right downtown, I think, at the convention center or something. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked to have gone to that, too, but, you know, I can't be in two places at once. At least I haven't quite figured that out that out yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll see you. Shit, this is our turn. Bye-bye. Okay. No, this is not our turn. Not and, our turn. 
Yeah, I work with two guys from Cuba. They were trying to teach me Spanish. At least I think they're teaching me Spanish. Cuba? Yeah. But I'm, but I'm learning, like, Cuban Spanish because there's different types of Spanish, different dialects. Just like there's, you know, different dialects in America. There's, like, there's the Spanish that you speak in Spain. There's, you know, South American Spanish. Uh, and there's, you know, it's just, like, variations on things. Cool. I still have no idea what the hell they're telling me. <laughs> I think they just teach me the bad words. I do know Gordo. That's fat. Me amo es Gordo. I had some, uh, some French-speaking folks from Quebec the other day that I was checking in. And they were so cute because they were speaking to each other in, in French. And then they to me. And, uh, and I told them, I said, you know, I feel so bad. I took four years of French, and all I can remember is the bad words. And they actually thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I remember two phrases from two years of Spanish. Uh, El perro es negro. My dog is black. <laughs> and cuantos uh, alumnos de origen. Cuantos alumnos de origen. And I don't even remember what that means. All I remember is that I would do my, I would try, try to do my Spanish exercises in an Australian accent. Cuantos alumnos de origen mexicano. Which just pissed my Spanish teacher off. No man. Miss Cone, she was a hottie. I see French. Beyond cow's words, I can remember pomme de terre, which is a potato. So hopefully, I've never starved to death if I just suddenly got pomme de terre. Pomme de terre. Pomme de terre. Stupid American. What's a potato? <laughs> I piss on your potato. <laughs> pomme de terre. I pull potato up your ass. I fart on your general potato. Oh, look. And what else? What else? Century Plaza. I remember. I remember my name is. Yes. My name is. Because in Spanish it's. <laughs> my name. My name is Potato. <laughs> Me amo es. I go. I go to Antonio and Joel, which is spelled with a Y, so it's Yoel. Ah, the whole Spanish thing gets me and, and uh, says, uh, I go, Me amo es Guillermo. And they're like, what? <laughs> Guillermo, that's William in Spanish. Oh, it is? Oh, we call you Bill. I didn't know that. Is that, is that <laughs> we, right? We call you Bill. <laughs> that's funny. And so I go, me amo es Bill. And they're like... <laughs> hey, 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 what you got? I think they just, I think yeah, they just they, mess with you. Yeah, they, yeah, that's exactly it. They're just messing with you. I think that's funny. Because they're over there. What? Come on, man! Come on, guys! I know you're talking about me because they'll look and they'll point and they'll laugh. I'm like, come on! I heard a Gordo in there. I'm not that fat. <laughs> Gordo. <laughs> Is this our place? Yeah, that's a. Uh, All right, so yeah. we are not turning here then, because the stupid things say it's making it. Look well, because okay. no, yeah, we actually, could, because yeah, we could go across. in by the other, uh, by the Golden Corral. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. There's the Spider-Man. Down there. Okay, yeah. I meant to get a picture of that yesterday, and I totally forgot. Oh, that's a regular. Well, I wonder if my camera is in the car, because I couldn't find my camera before. No, not the car. Where the hell my camera just disappeared to? I don't know, but we need to move. Wow, that was oh, a quick shit, light. Oh, can't go straight. All right, so we're going this Yeah, that was a super fast light. That was like a flashlight. I didn't even, like, <laughs> get a on flashlight. Uh, is this the stuff? I got a million of them. Whoop, nope, we yeah, can't. We don't want that one. Ram it. Not paying for parking. Ramming speed. 
Maybe we'll get towed over here, Bubba. Um, hmm. Uh, oh, it says event parking. Oh, fuck that. I'm not paying. Does it? I'm a guest, bitch. Did you say event, it says event parking. This one. Sweet. So is this the event parking then? I don't know. That's where we parked yesterday. And you're right. I don't want to get This towed. says event parking that way. Okay. It's, so, yeah. That's, all right. So here we go. No parking. All right. Well, oh, all right. Is this buddy. prick charging? Because I don't want to have to pay to charge. To we shouldn't have to pay because we're we're uh, what you call it, right? We're guests of the con. Guests of well, the con, man. We'll talk to Chubby McChubbins dying there. <laughs> get out of the car. <laughs> I bet you that's what he's sitting there for—is to charge for parking and like say, "I'm going to Kobe Steakhouse." Thanks. Panelists. We have the book. We don't have the book. We can't even prove that we're panelists. We got this. We got the passes in our pocket. But yeah, we don't have the book. Well, well, I'll run in, grab a book, and run out. I'll just tell him, hey. You know me? I'm Dr. Bill. (laughs) (laughs) This is Scott Gardner. Do you have any American Express card with you? Because otherwise, you're not going to know who the hell you are. Stop directions. Buy and sell you ten times over, you little (laughs) alfacious prick. This is when when Scott realized almost no fame had gone to Bill's head. You are one dumb bitch. I said, stop directions. I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh-oh. I think the artificial intelligence is growing. Uh-oh. It's Skynet all over again. Wait, first, I am rubber. You are glue. <laughs> I know you are. Well, Next time you went to directions, you are screwed. <laughs> Good morning. How are we doing today? Are we enjoying Conjure so far? Welcome to the Marvel Star Wars panel. We have subtitled this, It Ain't Just a Big Green Rabbit. How many of you guys familiar with uh, with Marvel Star Wars and the history of Marvel Star Wars comics? A couple of you? What, what, those of you who aren't, what do you know about it? What have you heard about it? What have you been told about it? That Anybody? It's just a big green rabbit, right? It's a bunch of silly stuff that doesn't count and shouldn't have counted in the first place because it's just a big dumb green rabbit you hear that a lot before we get cranking you guys are probably wondering who the hell are these guys anyway my name's scott gardner i'm uh, one of the co-creators of the two true freaks internet radio network otherwise known as a podcast but most times these days you say podcast people are like what the hell's a podcast i don't know what that is so <laughs> Uh, it's a podcast that we put together back in uh, 2008, me and my best friend, who uh, unfortunately could not be here today. Uh, we created a network just to talk about geeky stuff that we love, and kind of the cornerstone for the last six years with the program has been talking about Marvel Star Wars. Uh, it kind of, uh, through experiment and uh, different things, we became kind of an index show for Marvel Star Wars. We've covered the entire series from the very first issue all the way through. Was, uh, the series ran 107 issues, started, of course, uh, a couple months before the original movie came out in 1977, ran 107 issues, went a little bit past Return of the Jedi, uh, had three annuals, had a mini series that adapted uh, Return of the Jedi separately, and then there was actually a handful of Marvel UK stories that were published exclusively uh, in the United Kingdom that just recently got reprinted here in the United States uh, in total. When they published in the UK, they published it weekly, and they took the Marvel material and published it in serialized weekly installments, but they ran out of stories, and they they had to publish some stories that we didn't necessarily get to because they had too much content to churn out there. Some really crazy stuff, too. Uh, If any of you guys have ever heard of, uh, say, Watchmen? 
by Alan Moore. Alan Moore actually worked uh, for a time on Marvel Star Wars. Isn't he just now known as the original author? Oh, is that what, is that, is that what they're calling him? I these think days? they're soliciting the Marvel Man stuff under the original author. Uh, but again, I'm Scott Gardner. To my left is Dr. Bill Robinson, another member of the uh, Two True Freaks Network. He does a couple of shows. to do what? Back to the Bins? Back to the Bins, uh, Walking Dead Wednesday. Um, guest spots on various shows and stuff when I can weasel my way in. Oh, and you've got the three annuals. There's also three annuals. For did I say three annuals? I, I can't know. remember if I did say three annuals. Oh. See, he's Whoops. paying attention. Whoops. Unlike somebody. Somebody's sitting at this table. <laughs> and to my right is Scott Rifen, who is also part of the Two True Freaks Network, and he is the, uh, what do you call it, ringleader behind... I'm the guy that has to do the heavy lifting on dinner heavy, for Is that heavy lifting? We all sit down, and we show up, and we eat dinner, and we talk about geeky things, and afterwards I have to go make it sound like it actually made sense. So that's <laughs> that's kind of my job. What is your website? Uh, com. There we go, right enough. here. And we're all over anybody, there. Anybody time. wants if one? If you have a geeky interest, there is a show for you on that website. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'll do it. I'll and do if it you go right to dinner4geeks.com, it takes you to twotruefreaks.com. So either way, you're going to get there. What we decided to do today in an effort to tell you, not just tell you it ain't just a big green rabbit, because that's all you ever hear about when you hear about Marvel Star Wars, is we sat down and we racked our brains, and that didn't take a lot of racking, but... <laughs> Uh, we sat down and we said, well, you know, let's, let's talk about some things that you can't get anywhere but in Marvel Star Wars that are great, that are wonderful, a reason to go there. And you have a lot of opportunity to get to Marvel Star Wars. Dark Horse reprinted them in two different trade paperback series. They're available electronically through Dark Horse. Clock's ticking. And uh, Marvel has announced that in January they're going to put them all in their big hardcover omnibus format. So you have an opportunity to get these classic stories, and there's, again... Contrary to what you may have heard, there's a lot of great material in there. A lot of so, really solid stuff. We uh, we uh, narrowed it down to your top three heroes that you're going to find from Marvel Star Wars, your top three villains, and your top three storylines. And then we thought we'd let you guys ask whatever you wanted to ask. You ready? Cool. All right, let's start. So top three heroes. And the first of the top three heroes. Hey, who's that guy? This guy... Frequently mistaken for Boba Fett. His name is actually Fen Shisa. Now, he has kind of a convoluted history if you go with uh, actually this guy. The, the recently scrapped EU. Um, as, it, as he originally appeared in Marvel Star Wars, he was a compatriot of Boba Fett. So it was he, Boba Fett, and the third guy in this picture, uh, Toby Dalla, were basically like the head badasses of the Mandalorian army. That teamed up with the, uh, well, they, were they called clone troops? I'm trying to remember how it was with well, the Imperials just, essentially to wipe yeah, out because the uh, Emperor was already the Emperor. He the was already Wars, the Emperor, according to the story at the time. They didn't have the continuity right, okay, but it's still a good story. So after things that we would learn later, subsequently with prequels and stuff, of course he had to be retooled, so he becomes a, a slightly different character. But the reasons that we think that he's really cool is, for one. He, uh, he's Boba Fett, essentially, but he's a good guy. So he actually teams up with the Rebels. Now, his story in the continuity of Marvel Star Wars is set between uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which, on the surface of it, you would think, that's probably the weakest era because, you know, it's, what, like a three-month period of time between those two movies. 
But you have to remember, in real time, in our time, there's three mo- three years between these movies. So Marvel Star Wars had three years to fill between those pictures and had to come up with different ideas and different stories. And it turns out that this particular period between Empire and Jedi is arguably the best period of all. You wouldn't naturally think that with Han being off the table and they're kind of shoehorned into you know what can they really do but they go off in some really imaginative ways one of the ways they go off into is they wind up on the planet mandalore and they team up with this guy fen shisa who becomes uh one of their great allies and for a time is a sort of boyfriend romantic interest for princess leia so that was another yeah. reason that she w- or that he was uh very cool and very important to the story because there's just some nice romantic tension between the two of them. Oh, how quickly they forget. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and the great thing is it's not just romantic tension, but it's romantic tension with a guy who's kind of Boba Fett. So makes it even better. The great thing also is there's sometimes is merchandise sold but that's supposed to be Boba Fett merchandise using old artwork that is actually using artwork that is Ben Shiza. So keep your eyes on that. It's I actually have a T-shirt. You yeah, that. you have one too. Yeah, I, I brought it today. As a matter of fact, if you've seen this T-shirt around anywhere... That's not, not Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. <laughs> this is a cover from the series. This is what, 68? Uh, 68. Mm-hmm. And that is actually the cover from 68. Gene Day, I think, was the artist That is on Gene this. Day all day long, yeah. And the image is clearly taken from a publicity still of Boba Fett, but that is not Boba Fett. That is actually Fen Shisa, I'm not sure. Correct. Our next hero is Kiro. One other quick thing before we move on to Kiro. Okay. If any of you guys are familiar with the the novel EU that was recently ditched, scrapped, whatever is going on with the whole That's EU nice thing, yeah. um, or legends now. he becomes one of the more important characters in the latter day stuff, the more recent stuff with like Legacy of the Force. Um, Karen Travis uh, wrote a lot of stuff concerning uh, Fen Shisa. He had become the leader essentially of the Mandalorian people. So. He's not like front and center, but he's definitely been incorporated into that whole history, which I thought was really cool because he is a really neat character. So retconned a lot from how he initially appears in Marvel Star Wars, but still made to be an important character to the Mandalorian culture. Now, Kiro, one of the reasons I always thought he was really cool is that he, of course, comes from a water planet. One of the things that we never really got in Star Wars, although we kind of sort of got it with... with, um, it's the planet Camino. that... Uh, Camino, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Totally blanked. With Camino was, you know, first movie we get the desert planet. Well, actually, every planet or every movie we get the <laughs> yeah, desert planet. The desert we, get, planet. we get Tatooine. So I, wa- I always, as a kid, I always wanted to see the other side of the coin. All right, we have an all-dirt planet. I want to see an all-water planet. And that was essentially where Kiro came from. He was a water breather on this planet that was nothing but water. And Luke and Leia and the droids and who else somebody else goes and they go to this water planet to essentially try to bring these people into the rebellion and so their entire culture and their entire civilization was all excuse me water-based and they lived in essentially like this underwater version of like sea world or something where where it was all air so their their air breathing human friends could come and visit them and everything and it's a really good story where uh the empire ends up setting off a nuke that causes this massive tidal wave damage and all this. It's a really uh, very well thought out story, I thought. But this isn't the first water world we see in the series because right. the first, no. which what? But we will get to that yes, we because will. that is in our stories. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was Yes, that's, that is in there. Uh, but awesome. you know, one of the things about Kiro's people, period, is they wanted to be left alone. 
And that's all they really wanted. And the, re the rebellion went to them and said, come on, we need you. We'd like you to join us. And, and the empire obviously retaliated. And uh, so, so the rebellion really brought a lot of destruction to these people. And so Kiro is, is very conflicted with his loyalties, whether or not stay and protect his people or to go and do the right thing and, and fight the, uh, the empire. He is also just an old-school swashbuckler. He runs around, swings off of things, has a sword, very acrobatic, just a lot of fun. And he wears a fishbowl on his head, which yeah. I always like that. How can you not like that? Shira Bry. She's, or actually Shira, Shira, we got this straight from the horse's mouth. This, she was actually thought up by uh, David Michelinie, who is one of the great comic book writers. Uh, and you guys familiar with Venom from Spider-Man? He invented that character. Uh, just one of the classic comic book writers. Uh, we had him on the show uh, on Two True Freaks. This was probably a year or two ago, uh, specifically to talk about his run on Marvel Star Wars. And we kind of ended up talking all over the place because he, he's done a lot of comics over time. But this was a character that he created... And she was kind of a, a love interest for Luke Skywalker because uh, one of the reasons I think that Marvel Star Wars garnered some of the reputation that it did, especially post-Return of the Jedi, was that Lucasfilm had a very active hand in the creation of this series. They were very active in telling the writers of the series what they could and could not do. David Michelinie had an incredible talent. We, we, nicknamed him, we nicknamed him the predictor because he kept predicting things that they were going to want to do in Return of the Jedi. And when he would get the rejection letters, he couldn't understand, well, yeah, what's going on? It's a good story. Why, why won't you let me do this? And, and it, he would find out later. Yeah, and eventually it turned right. out that he was predicting things that they were already working on, like a second Death Star, Ewok-type characters, all these things. So he came up with this character because we're kind of left in the dark at the end of Return of, or excuse me, at the end of uh, The Empire Strikes Back as to which way is Leia going? Is she more Han? Is she more Luke? What's going on? We didn't know anything with you know them well, genetically. Being... She's more Luke. Oh well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they since Han was off the table and they were not allowed to progress the relationship of the movie characters. They couldn't have Luke and Leia get closer. It was it had to be left where it was in the movies. So that's why she became interested for a time in Fenshaisa. And, of course, Luke gets his little girlfriend, who is Shira Bree. The other thing, too, there, there, are, not a lot of, there are not a lot of heroic females in, this, in Star Wars. I mean, just, Not a lot of females so, in Star Wars. Not a lot of females. Yeah. And so when you have them, you like them. And Shira was, Shira was tough as nails, great pilot, great fighter. Sassy. Sassy, courageous. Uh, she, was, she was everything anybody would want to be. So uh, she also, as we'll find out, over time, uh, provided a lot of the basis for Mara Jade. A lot. Looks a lot like her, and there are a lot of things that wind up coming to play in her history that you'll find are, are very, very similar. And, of course, one of the other reasons she's cool, as Scott mentioned, she gets down with Luke. Yeah. You can't see that too well. <laughs> this, is, this is her this lip, lip locked with, with Luke Skywalker, yes. yes. You guys are familiar with Mara Jade, right? Yeah. Later becomes Luke's yeah. wife. I remember reading, uh, what's the first one? Heir to the Empire. Yeah, it's the first one. I remember reading that the first time day it came out, and I'm and I get to the part with Mara, and as it's giving her backstory, and you're figuring out who she is, I'm like, this hmm. is Shira, Shira Bree, Pretty totally much. Shira Bree, and I, I believe that at some point uh, uh, the author did kind of fess up to that, that he kind of got that idea. What's interesting is that we would kind of see her again uh, later in the continuity. Well, what, and let's go ahead and say she met a, a pretty tragic ending. They, they were going on a raid. They were 
uh, in stolen TIE fighters to go on the raid to blend in with the Imperials. And during the battle, they lost radio communication with each other. Luke had to use the Force to determine uh, whether it was an Imperial or a Rebel who was shooting at him or coming towards him. And he blew up a a TIE fighter, the last one he blew up, and he got back to the base. They had the... uh, they had the, the replay, actually, the instant replay on HD. They were looking at John Madden was circling some of it. <laughs> and it uh, turns out that he blew up Shira and, of course, was put on trial for it, which one of the, another good story. One of the hallmarks I've always felt of the sto- of the series of Marvel Star Wars, especially, again, during that, that period set between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, was it has some of the best comic book-style cliffhanger endings, the kind of endings that were like, oh, my God, and you had to get the next issue. Yeah. And that was one of the great ones was the at the very last page that reveal that who it was that he killed and yeah. it, that it was her, his girlfriend. And he's, he's just stunned yeah. and for a time becomes a total pariah to the rebellion. They turn on him because essentially she was greatly loved by the other troops in the rebellion. And how do you know the word pariah? I learned that word from Marvel Star Wars. It was on the cover. cover. (laughs) Perry, what is this word? Yes. Hey, mom, Luke's a Perrier. Look. (laughs) So then you find out that no, it's it's Pariah. That one actually had a few good cliffhangers. One of the cliffhangers, obviously, they zoom in and you see her face in the exploding Tie Fighter, which is great. Uh, Walt Simonson illustration. And uh, later on, when he goes to try and find her history, the last panel of one of the uh, issues is Darth Vader stepping out of a, uh, a plume of smoke, saying, "Luke Skywalker, I've come for you." And even as a kid, you know, they can't do this. They're not going to do this. There's no way. And then uh, next month you find out. Hologram. Hologram. There's a a T-shirt that recently started uh, selling at, uh, I don't know, where I got mine, Kohl's or Walmart or somewhere. And it's at the top of it, it just says, join the dark side. And it's this image of Darth Vader, and he's kind of reaching for you. It's a it's comic book image drawn by Walt Simonson. It's from that cliffhanger ending because Luke goes to uh, Shira's planet to kind of track something down with her yeah. and he hears a voice saying you know Luke or whatever and he turns around and it's Vader's a- approaching him saying you know come with me and it's, it was just it was such a cliff because you totally didn't expect Vader was going to show up because up to that point he was kind of off the table they weren't yeah. really allowed they, to play with him yeah they kept well and, and they would work him into the series but they'd never put him in the same sandbox Vader could do his thing Luke could do his thing but you didn't put them together because obviously that's the conflict you got to wait for the return of the Jedi to uh, resolve. Top three villains. And our first one is kind of a cheat because it's not just one villain. It's the <laughs> entire tag family. The entire family. Orman. Silas. Silas. And Domina. Domina. Now, these guys were a lot of fun because they were actually related to one of the characters that we got from the original movie um, in the in the conference scene in the first Star Wars movie when uh, Vader chokes uh, one of the, the guys around the table. It's not that's not him though, right? It's the other guy is the tag one, the one that's the guy that kind of sits there like until this right, yeah, he's, fully he's operational. Kind of we are vulnerable. Right. That's him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll show you a picture of him in just a little bit. Yeah, the, the great thing about the tag family is the whole family of bad guys. I mean, they're all there's none of them that are nice. Obviously, it's genetic in some way. And the other is they they have a very strong rivalry within the Empire with Darth Vader. So while they have to keep Darth Vader off the table and he can't confront Luke directly in the series because of things that are going to happen in the movies, here are some people that can directly confront Luke and you understand why Darth Vader's not involved in a lot of the things they're involved in because they're, they're rivals with, the, with Darth Vader for the Emperor's favor, to tell you the truth. And again, there is that episode four 
tie-in, Casio yeah, tag. That's him. Yeah. On the Death Star. Is all set up in Episode 4. So the neat thing is it's also an extension of what happened in Episode 4. So it, it all flows very well. Next up in the top three villains, Kevlcade. Valance the Hunter. Now this guy is one of my favorites. He he was fantastic. Um, he was a bounty hunter, and I always had a soft spot for the bounty hunters. You know, even though we only see, you know, them briefly in, um, you know, in uh, the Empire Strikes Back, the bounty hunters were those ones that I just always kind of I latched onto as a kid because they were these mysterious characters. Valance was cool because he's a fellow bounty hunter. But we actually get to learn a little bit about him, his personality and his quirks and everything. And he was probably the quirkiest of quirks because when we first meet him, he takes an instant disliking to Luke Skywalker. Something, somehow or other, he learns about Luke, that he was the, the one that destroyed the Death Star and everything. Takes an instant dislike to him because Luke treats his droids as if they're his friends and they, they're equals and everything. And there was this weird thing in the in the early stages of Marvel Comics Star Wars where the writers really played upon the facts, little beats that we got in the original Star Wars movie that droids were not considered equals to humans. They were they were subservient and everything. It was playing a lot off of the scene where they go into the cantina and the bartender won't let R2 and 3PO come in. It, they it kinda, is that, but because uh, you, know, you, you remember the scene, obviously, but there are also little things like, oh, I'm only a droid right. and not very knowledgeable about right. such things. I mean, there, there is a definite class status for droids, and it is the bottom of the barrel. Well, you know, somebody that I just thought, thought about that maybe that came about because, of course, we get this later in the Clone Wars with all the droids that were in the droid right. army. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Retroactively, yeah. Right, yeah. Retroactively, That's not a bad thing, yeah. So at the end of the initial storyline with him... He goes after Luke because he hates Luke because Luke loves droids and has droid friends, but mm-hmm. Valance hates droids. At the end of the story, he does what he's doing here. He peels off half of his face, and you learn that he himself is a cyborg. He's half human on, on one side and half robot on the other. And it sounds kind of corny, but as a kid, that was mind-blowing stuff, man. It was like, whoa, he hates himself, and it was this deep whole thing. What was really cool is... Uh, he ends up in, uh, I'm trying to remember what issue, this 27, I think? 20, uh, I believe it's 29. 29, 27, yeah. 29, uh, just prior to... 27 uh, is where he confronts Luke. 16 is where he first shows up. Right. How about that? He first shows up uh, in... He's in, our numbers guy. For this, uh, <laughs> I remember storylines, he remembers numbers. And, and essentially, he is his, his bounty that he's trying to collect is... Uh, there's a storyline going through the comics at this point. Darth Vader is trying to figure out who it is that fired that shot on the Death Star. Mm-hmm. He was behind him. He got a touch of something. Then he got blown out of there, and all so did the Death Star. So he's trying to figure out who that guy was. Who, who's that person that I made contact with right before he blew up the Death Star? And he's trying to, to get the name of this person. And so he goes around, and, and Valance is one of those people who's trying to do it. In issue 27, Valance confronts Luke and has him on the ropes until... 3PO and R2 step in and basically are willing to sacrifice their existence, which, you know, really, when you think about it, I guess they could just be repaired and put about... (laughs) (laughs) They're willing to sacrifice themselves to save Luke's life, and that gets to him, and suddenly he has a change of heart and lets Luke get away. Another friend. Yes. Uh, However, what that leads to is there is a rebel who deserted the the rebel base on Yavin, 
as the Death Star was closing in. He knew they were all going to be blown up, so he took off. He got out of there. He was a bit of a coward. Tyler Lucian. Tyler Lucian. That's I can't right. remember my wife's birthday, but I can remember Tyler Lucian. <laughs> well, he eventually is hanging out on a planet, and again, some great world building that you didn't wind up seeing in the movies. This is a planet that basically most of the surface is acid. And he's in a, a, uh, a tower hiding by himself on a planet he thinks no one will go to. Well, Vader finds out this guy has the name. And Vader finds out where this guy is. And Valance also finds out that Vader knows. So Valance beats him there and basically tries to hold Vader back on that world. It didn't work, but Tyler Lucian, who watched the whole fight happen in front of him, basically finally gets a little courage and jumps into the acidic water himself, thereby ruling out Vader's chance to find out who the pilot who destroyed the Death Star was. And then about three or four issues later, they have an opening scene where... (laughs) Vader's holding someone up and it's like, aha, Skywalker, that's the name. That's a great, yeah. <laughs> they had to, great they, they, were, they were having to hit Empire Strikes Back and then we got we to gotta wrap yeah. this up, guys. Let's that's, go. That story yeah. with, uh, with Valance and Vader fighting was, again, it was just mind-blowing, especially as a kid. The art is phenomenal. Some of the best early art in the series because for the first, uh, leading from Star Wars, you know, post-Star Wars to the Empire Strikes Back adaptation, most of that's drawn by Carmen, uh, Carmen Infantino, who again was you know a legend in in comics, and it's kind of divisive amongst fans. Some people really like it. Some people are like, I don't really care for that. But I think it's some of his best stuff in that particular issue. And what it was, what was really nice in there is that for one, Valance holds his own against Darth Vader, which was actually pretty cool. Yeah. But it was really the first time anywhere, even beyond the original Star Wars, that it was really fully demonstrated to us right there in the in the artwork. And in the story that Vader was a badass. I mean, he really, you know, he tears into this guy. And so it was a chance to see Vader shine, but it was also a chance to see what Valance could do up against Darth Vader. And it, it's a really good story and, a, and a, one of the epic battles of, uh, of Marvel Star Wars. Absolutely. I had a little of contention, though, because when we were choosing the list, I wanted him to actually be on the hero list. <laughs> That's true, because yeah. He, he has Valance, a bit of a redemptive arc sure. at, at the end. So He does do that. He does do that. But I was swayed to the dark side by these two. <laughs> this is my favorite villain of all of them. And if you guys, any of you familiar with the uh, extended universe stuff, especially the latter-day stuff, um, Legacy of the Force, this character played a huge part in that uh, because she uh, led to the downfall of one of the major characters of the series. I don't know how spoilery we want to be with all this stuff. I think you're you're skirting the line, but that's good. Stay on that side of the line. But uh, she was fantastic. She uh, essentially, she became uh, the female Darth Vader because post-Return of the Jedi, of course, who's left? Who are they going to battle? You know, the Emperor's off the table. Darth Vader's dead. So what are they going to do? They had to come up with somebody. And they were very smart in the way that they kind of introduced this character in dribs and drabs until she became essentially the new Dark Lord. So she was the new threat that they were going to battle. Um, Two words, Light Whip. Uh, Again, this became a thing in the EU eventually, but it was established right here, uh, the Light Whip, which was really cool. Uh, one of the epic storylines. We're talking about this storyline a little bit later, right, where she fights Luke? Uh, we will talk about that later, but we do, of course, have one more thing to say about Lumia. Absolutely. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. She's actually Shira Bree. Because they teased at the end of one of the issues, after we've long thought uh, that Shira was dead, that Luke had killed her, that, no, she was in bad shape. But we're shown a panel with uh, Darth Vader 
where he has her remains in a Bacta tank. Yeah. And they strung us along for years on that. It yeah, was yeah. a long, long time before... Turned, about 40 yeah. issues. On Turns yeah, out she was a disciple of Darth Vader's all along that he'd taken in as a child, had raised her, and had planted her in the rebellion and uh, gave her the mission to destroy it from within. And that's what she was working to do, we find out later. Uh, obviously, after being blown up while trying to do that, she bears a little bit of a grudge against Luke. She's not too happy. No. A skosh. So but we'll it also is a redemptive arc for Luke because you learn that the Force... Because for a while, Luke has kind of a, a, a crisis of faith. Like, why did the Force tell me to kill my girlfriend? He doesn't understand, and you know, he feels betrayed by the Force and by Ben Kenobi and everything that, that he's learned. So this was a redemptive arc for him where he learns that, no, the Force actually was telling me to do the right thing, that she was a double agent the entire time. Well, wouldn't the Force tell you to do that with any girlfriend? Oh, sorry. Maybe no, eventually. No. <laughs> Top three stories. Ah, the Battle of Drexel. This was the water planet that we, the first water planet that we got. Dr. Bill referenced there was yeah, another water planet. This was early in the run. This was, this was a story that you liked, the water planet story? Oh, yeah. This, this was where Luke had gone off on his own little, uh, uh, just after... Um, the end of movie proper uh it, the whole band split up everybody went their merry way and luke was out on a on a scouting mission and crash landed on a water planet well being from a desert planet you could see why he may not know how to swim so uh, yeah. it's a gets, good uh, it, get, it gets involved with a lot of uh dragon lords you you have the dragon lords you have the um barry wrightson ghost ship Right, yeah. city. There's, yeah. you know, there's there's an actual city that is on a ship. That it, it's, they were really pulling from a lot of other genres in the beginning of, star of uh, of the series. And and to this point, once the adaptation of the film ended at issue six, from seven to this started in number eleven, if I remember right, uh, they were kind of flopping around trying to flopping. figure out what they wanted to be. They wanted to figure out what Star Wars is going to be, and this was the first time they actually had a real unique vision that was some new territory in Star Wars. Otherwise, they were going to cantinas on backwater planets and recruiting aliens and, you know, to go on a mission, and it was, it was all very similar to the film until all of a sudden, hey, here's something that's new and different, but we can still use these characters with it. And the other thing that I think this was significant for is Archie Goodwin became the writer, and Archie Goodwin set a lot of the tone for what was to come up until Empire Strikes Back. And uh, he's the guy who provided a lot of the direction. Archie Goodwin did the newspaper strip as well. Yeah. He did do the newspaper strip after uh, Russ Manning. That's right. The next story, up for bids, is... Mm. The Tarkin. Now, this was a great, great, great story. Again, uh, this comes from the uh, David Michelinie era. And David Michelinie, again, the predictor, he came up with so many ideas that we would eventually see in Return of the Jedi. So he comes with this great idea that, you know, the Death Star was actually pretty cool. And it was actually a really good idea. It just had this one fatal flaw. So what if the Empire decides to try again and Spackle build another Death Star? Yeah. Great idea. And Lucasfilm said, uh, no. And he was a little confused. Like, why can't I do that? So essentially what he did was rather than make it a Death Star and make it, you know, the, the whole round shape and everything, he essentially pulled the main gun off of the Death Star, slapped all this other, you know, stuff onto it visually so it looked like a giant engine with a, you know, the big death weapon on the front of it and renamed it the Tarkin instead of a Death Star. So it's essentially a second Death Star story. He called it the Tarkin and not Darksaber, which is <laughs> the exact same premise that got used later. I mean, Kevin J. Anderson loves his Death Stars, and 
he was beaten to the punch on that one. Interesting subplot on this one as well. Not only is there a big, giant super weapon, but Darth Vader's own officers get together and secretly try to stage a coup against him. And so you have, not only are the rebels trying to take out this weapon, but from within the weapon, Vader's own people are trying to get rid of Vader. Yeah, what, there's like four or five of them? They're all yeah. in like yeah. a they're all group. group. Yeah. And they all go and hold hands. It's, yeah. 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 Kumbaya, kill Vader, kumbaya. <laughs> well, you know, during this period, um, the artist for most of this was Walt Simonson, awesome. you know, probably most noted for, for his work uh, rejuvenating Thor in the comics. And some of the most iconic images from Marvel Star Wars, my, my T-shirt for one, were uh, Walt Simonson images. So there's this, this incredible sequence that I would have loved to have seen in one of the movies where the conspirators, they manage to get Vader in a certain section of the station, and then they blow him out an airlock. And there's this great image where he gets blown out, but he catches himself, and he uses the Force. And you can see all this crap blowing past him being blown out into space and he's just casually walking along his cape is whipping behind him and he just walks back in using the force and the guy who's done this is watching him on the monitor he just has one of these like oh shit moments where he realizes that didn't work and I'm a dead man it's really good stuff yeah this story also symbolizes the beginning of there's really represents the beginning of the David Michelinie era in Star Wars where as we talked about him being the predictor he had a he had his finger on the pulse of what Star Wars was what it was about what the characters should do in fact his finger was a little too much on the pulse at times where he got slapped back and had to had to redo stories uh, but this was this was really kind of the beginning of a very very golden era for this comic this title <coughs> and story Pardon number me. 3 <coughs> what I was going to say, I'm sorry, pardon me, Okay. is that uh, what's funny is that Michelini did much the same thing. Uh, years later, he would work on The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, which was a series uh, that spun directly out of Raiders of the Lost Ark and mostly took place before uh, Temple of Doom came along. He did the same thing on that, predicted a lot of things that would, we would eventually see in the latter two movies, and... Uh, they didn't seem to slap him back as much on that one, though. Mm -hmm. They didn't seem as tightly controlled as the Star Wars work. But it's funny, because we, we looked at some of that stuff on our shows as well, and we're continually going, wait, he predicted this like five years before we saw it in this movie, and it was just incredible. So the guy's, the guy's mind was on, you know, really on the ball with what we would see in these latter films. This is... Uh, Again, I wish this showed up a little bit better on the wall here, but this was epic stuff at the time. Uh, Luke's battle with... Uh, there's actually different pronunciations. I don't think Fandom agrees on how her name is pronounced. I've always said, said Lumia. He did In say Lumia? Interview, okay. Lumia, yes. But did he actually... He, see, he created Shira. I understand but that. did he create Lumia as well? He, or he was headed that notes, way. Yeah. Okay, so he was headed that way because it was actually other writers that took over yep. later. Um but probably the high point, at least for me personally, the high point of the entire series is when everything comes to a head post-Return of the Jedi and Luke faces off with Lumia. And there's no two ways around it. She kicks his ass. She totally owns Luke Skywalker. She's got this light whip, and the light whip is made up essentially of two elements. It's a traditional whip made of leather and metal, but it also has this light element. So it's like a lightsaber, but like a, like a pliable lightsaber. And he's totally unprepared for this, and she just owns him in the battle. So he goes back, he licks his wounds, and he ends up forging himself 
a second lightsaber, which was essentially a light... I always call it a light baton. There's actually another name for it that I'm blanking on at the moment. Mm-hmm. But he forges himself a second lightsaber, which is a shorter blade. And it's like a light dagger. Almost. Yeah, like yeah. a dagger type of thing. Goes back, so he's got one lightsaber to battle the physical element of the whip and one lightsaber to battle the, the light element of the whip. And they have a second battle, and it's during the course of that battle that he takes her down, destroys her face mask, and she stands revealed as, uh, as Shira. It's To me, it's the high point of the series. I, I thought that was great stuff. And, of course, she comes back many years later into the EU to become a very important uh, character in, uh, in Legacy of the Force. But unfortunately, that's also towards the end of the series. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. And we had our special category, but we didn't have a PowerPoint for it. Best legs in the Star Wars Marvel Galaxy goes to <laughs> Pirate Crimson Jack, Crimson Jack. who was in true. the Drexel storyline, uh, actually on the side where Han gets drawn into it towards the later half. He uh, actually steals Han's uh, reward that he was going to use to pay off Jabba. And um, he has a Star Destroyer. And on there he has, what was uh, Jolly? Jolly was his, Jolly was his first mate, yes. Who, who was a, a lovely young pirate girl who had never been kissed She's by a man until by after man. she died by Han Solo, which is creepy. And, uh, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, she Crimson, died saving him, so yes. the least he could do was... <laughs> yeah. But Crimson Jack loved to wear his tight, short, leather, black pants. Yeah, it was almost a one-piece. Picture this big, burly, red-bearded pirate, space pirate guy, wearing shorty shorts, and he evidently he shaves his legs. Every other inch of him is, like, super hairy, but he's got the smoothest legs you've ever seen. Yeah, let me point out, we're defending Marvel Star Wars, we're not defending everything. <laughs> right. Because <Marvel> <laughs> if, if you look, uh, actually, Matt over here, uh, we were looking through the bins over there and uh, happened to, oh, look, Star Wars, Marvel... 15 and right on the cover there's 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 Han Solo in space Star with a breather Duel. mask there's a Star Destroyer and there's Crimson Jack in space in his shorts and Matt the, says this, I always the, thought that was a girl this, that was awesome. all this red flowing hair trying to blast Han Solo it's kind of Grizzly Adams and Daisy Dukes if you can go there yes. you're good but so yes, we, we're we're not saying that it's flawless. It, it definitely <laughs> has some moments that are that are like, ooh, what were they thinking? Um, there's one of the more infamous ones was there's a two issue uh, arc, issues fifty six and fifty seven, I think. Is that the John Carter Mars? Yeah, essentially. No, no, you're in the, you got to go to the sixties for that. 56, is it fifty seven? There, I thought book. it was yeah. like fifty four. So, something. Yeah. But it, it was literally, it's set again in the era between um, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And evidently they just had some deadline issues, something going on. And this was also at a time when uh, the head of Marvel was really pushing, let's clear out some of these inventory stories. You know, In the comics biz, for many, many years, they would just stockpile stories. They would, they would commission these stories to be written and drawn by, by different teams and then they would just shelve them for yeah. future dates. Somebody missed a deadline. Oh, we can just slip this right in. We're so good. they they had an inventory story that they just needed to get out of a drawer. Well, it turned out it was for a completely different magazine. It was for John Carter, Warlord of Mars. And I don't know if Star Wars was running late or what, but they split this issue up into two parts. They put a new beginning on it and a new ending on it, but essentially they just ran with it. And it became this weird Princess Leia story of her on this like medieval planet fighting these giant stormtroopers, and it was just like giant stormtroopers. What? what? The, well, were what? they giant stormtroopers? Yeah. Was that? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they, all they, they had, a little bit of yeah, they, 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 yeah, they didn't 
they touched on it with you know in the art, but they didn't really necessarily redraw it. So there's pictures of Chewie looking like a hairy lizard, and it's bizarre yeah. stuff. Really strange stuff. They won't notice. They're kids. Yeah, that's. I think that was the thinking. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Um, but beyond that, I mean. Well, there's the Banker's Planet. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you're not a the fan of the Banker's law. Planet. And then oh, there's the, there's the uh, issue where Wedge gets stuck on a transport after the Battle of Hoth, and he reminisces all about their childhood on Tatooine together, which they didn't spend together <laughs> right. on Tatooine. Wedge is from Corellia. So, but uh, other than that, obviously, again, we have a spirited defense of it. We also have five minutes left. Does anybody have any questions or anything? Excellent. Oh, it's a throat saver. A friend of yours, which I tried to do, to start reading them, and they can't seem to get past the Green Green Rabbit on the cover right after the Star Wars adaptation. Where would you suggest issue ten? Ten, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. actually, well, those first three issues are the the seven, or what? What is it? The seven for. Aduba? It's like eight the for Aduba, Aduba three. Eight, eight, it's yeah, essentially right. the Magnificent Seven set in space. It, it, basically, they just take the Magnificent Seven and, and make it a Star Wars story. It. It kind of works, but the problem is, is that it's just a little too far out there for Star Wars. Why don't you give them the last, uh, the last gift from Alderaan? Oh, no, that's not the name of it. It's not last gift from Alderaan. It's uh, oh yes, uh, Randy Stradley. Randy Stradley did a Why story that? that is issue, I believe, eighty-six, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. It is a, a great. So yeah, if you want to hook somebody into Marvel Star Wars, it's a single issue, stands on its own. It's actually uh, it was published after Return of the Jedi came out, but it's actually set in the period between uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It's a flashback story of Leia. Essentially, she it, it's kind of an enemy mind story where she finds herself teamed up factor. with yeah. a stormtrooper, and it turns out that this stormtrooper is also a survivor of Alderaan. And through the entire course of the story and everything, he's a really a jerk to her and, and they, they're just kind of thrown right. together in this story but at the end of course he has this redemptive arc and everything and it's one of these stories where you know at the end of it she she sheds a tear for him kind of thing but yeah but the great nice great story yeah and the nice thing about it is it, it is a very good story it is done in one and it it totally puts aside the notion of big green rabbits and that kind of thing and you know then go pick up 10 go pick up 11 go pick up a great story between 35 and 37 um uh, where the tag family gets their comeuppance. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, the wheel story I like where they they have to go to a uh, basically it's kind of a safe ground because it's a gambling operation that gets great tax revenue for the empire so the empire doesn't care who goes there uh, and so they they all have to go to the wheel to get medical help for Luke and Vader shows up and that's about a five issue thing I wouldn't you know burden them with that at first but this one it's short it's sweet it's a terrific story and it w- it will definitely dispel any of those notions and don't get the what the legend of Cody Sun? Oh, the God. Of Cody Sunshine with the giant star star destroyer killing genies. But if you've if you've read and enjoyed that. anything, if you've read and enjoyed anything that Dark Horse put out during the time that Dark Horse owned Star Wars, so much of that stuff was written by Randy Stradley. Well, this was well. I'm sorry, I thought you started no, it up there. I thought I did Stradley too. Stradley was <laughs> uh, was the was the writer of that uh, the Alderaan factor uh, factor issue with Leia and the uh, the stormtrooper from Alderaan, and uh, I mean it was his very first story, and he just comes right out of the gate, you know. It's the ground running. It's it's a great story and illustrated by uh, by Bob McCloud, who again is one of the, the great talents of uh, of comics. 
there we got no love in the Toshiba. <laughs> there, is, there, is. there we go. That's it. That's the issue. Sorry, Great issue. Up there. And I wouldn't so be surprised if you could go out on the floor and find it in a fifty cent bin. A lot of this stuff is is available on the cheap, yeah. um, and it's been heavily reprinted. Dark Horse did some really good reprintings, and again, as Scott mentioned, there's a uh, an omnibus coming out soon. That's the first what, like forty issues or something 44 like that. Four issues, yeah. And, yeah. And Star Wars is coming out with new series, although they're not Three supposed to be linked to this era. Fingers crossed that they're going to though. Who knows yeah. if they'll finally bleed back into it? There's a lot of stuff for them to mine. I mean, they they ended up doing it with the EU. They ended up mining a lot of the material, so hopefully we'll see some of that mined again. Now that you know, to me, Star Wars is coming home by coming you know back to to Marvel. It really feels like it's coming home. So I, I have high hopes anyway. So write your letters now and ask them for a Jackson return story. What's what your thoughts on this, this dismissing the Ooh, I would best, yes. A YouTube video, maybe you could pull it up. Have you seen a video? There's a video online of someone going to their bookshelf that is chock full of Star Wars books and then slowly just pulling them off and dumping them onto the yeah, floor. Have you no guys seen this video? This is, this is Scott produced this video. Yep, this we actually we this did, is what they did. We, and they got we rid of this. did a, and they got a, rid of that. yeah. A, basically, I, I've got a I've, I have a few Star Wars novels, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, I have a I have one particular shelf on there where I take all the mass market paperbacks just because they fit. You know, anything that's trade or oversized, I don't have it in there. But it's every mass market paperback Star Wars novel that's ever been printed, and they're in chronological order. And I've been maintaining this for a couple of decades now. And so, yeah, I, I basically made a video where I ripped everything but the six novelizations off the shelf and put them in a big pile on the floor and said, this is what you just did. This is what you just did to my collections, what you did to the last couple decades that I've been uh, maintaining this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. Now, I will also say that when, we, when it, the, the sale first went down, the first thing I said to anybody was, well, there goes the there EU. Goes the because they're not, they're not going to want to have to explain everything that's happened to, you know, the... We, again, we have to remember that while the books are profitable, they're a very small portion of the audience in the overall. And so if, when it, if it comes to let's market something for mass appeal versus let's focus on these few people, they're going to do the mass appeal thing in a heartbeat. So the second the, the Disney bought Lucasfilm, I knew it was over for the EU. It was just a matter of time. I mean, those stories are still out there. They're oh, still good yeah. stories. Some uh, of them, some are good, yeah. some are bad. Yeah, you know. But yeah. I remember that just, when your when your beloved cat dies. I'm gonna say, hey, <laughs> your cat stories are still out there. It's okay. It's, no, if you if you want to if you want to hear a really good episode though, shortly after that happened, after the the announcement finally came down that they were doing away with it, uh, we got together with Scott and I, and who else was in a whole on bunch it? of us? Yeah, yeah, a, a bunch of guys from the a big round table that we did. Uh, it was very cathartic because I don't think mm. we held back at all. We, we kind of let them have it both barrels. Um, that's a really good episode. It's a couple months ago, but if you, you look on our feed, ChooChooFreaks.com, you'll, you'll find that oh, episode. Oh, that one. That was Jonathan Kreitz and yeah. Chris Honeywell yeah. were on that one as well. Really good episode. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I think, that's, I think yeah. we're over time, yeah, right? That's our time. And, and Thank you guys so, so much for coming. We really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you so much. And you can ChooChooFreaks.com and hear a lot more. If you give us a listen, please uh, give us some feedback. Love it, hate it. We'd like to hear from our listeners. Yep, definitely. Okay, now we have to get across the way. Hey, man, are you picking on Alan? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm picking on you. You can.
and sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Are you cheap son of a bitch? Are you crazy? Those guys are retards. I got a good deal on those boys. The scout said they showed a lot of promise.